0: This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Father, thank you for just the ministry of your presence today. We sense your presence. We know, Lord, that we have already been with you and we. And as we open your word, I pray that you'll teach us, anoint it, speak it into our hearts. And, Father, I pray that you'll give us the will to do, to walk in the unity that you're calling us to. Release that anointing over this church. Release it over your body. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for your worship today. Take your uh, Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. You can uh, take out your uh, phones if you'd like to download the outline. It's there uh, in the app. On the app, you're also going to see that established website. That Pastor Christian was referring to. That's so important as we go into our campaign that we uh, are uh, picking up everything that we need. If you're online, you can order your kit online and we will ship it out to you this week. And so you can go to the app or the website over there and it will enable you to order your kit. We've been looking at the book of Philippians, we've called the series I Choose. We've been looking at the different themes that Paul looks at as he's been walking us through these different themes as he's writing to the church of Philippi, a church that he started, a church that has helped him many times on his missionary journeys. And now they've heard that he's imprisoned in Rome and they've sent an offering to him from, uh, by way of Ephroditus. And as Ephroditus comes, Paul is now sending back a letter to the church that's there. And it's been a powerful, powerful uh, study as we've been walking through this book. Now, we skipped chapter 2 because he was linking his themes in chapter 1 and chapter 3. We went on to chapter 4, but now we're going to come back to chapter 2. And today our theme is, I choose unity. Say it with me, I choose unity. Now, unity really has more to do with how we deal and handle conflict in our lives. When we say I choose unity, what we're really saying is I'm gonna learn how to deal with conflict as it comes my way. Now, I don't know about you, but all of us, if we're honest, can say we deal with conflict in our life. Can you, can you just agree with me today? And therefore, this message is one that hits every one of us today. In fact, one of the greatest joys for the Lord is that when his children, you and I, followers of Christ, learn to love one another. Now, this chapter goes far beyond just relationships, but it really deals with how do you and I deal with conflict within our relationships. And why that's important is because conflict kills joy. Chapter 1, Paul was saying, I choose joy, and in chapter 2, he's telling us the very thing that will kill the joy of the Lord in you is conflict in your life. Therefore, he's going to be writing that we must walk in unity and be in one mind, one heart, and one accord. Now, we know when we look around society and we look at different aspects of life that when there is successful unity or, or when uh, people are working together, you see that that business, that football team, that sports team, government, when government works together, Congress and Senate and President work together, there's unity. When you see people working together, there is a unity. But when there's conflict, it kills that unity and it kills the joy of the Lord. And one of the things that you and I cannot accomplish by ourselves is unity. Unity means I walk with you. I strive with you. I I walk together, and as I walk together with another, there is unity that's there, and it's a tremendous power, and a group that's walking in unity has a tremendous potential when it comes to the kingdom of God. So today, let me just tell you that this message is vital for us. We can come to a meeting and hear sermons, we can sing songs, we can hear preaching, but until we choose to walk together in unity is the moment that we really see the anointing of God beginning to flow. So my prayer today is that we're going to learn how to live in authentic unity. Can I just get an agreement today? And that is what Paul is, is, is pleading for. That's what he, he pleads for here is that we would stand together. A house divided cannot stand. That we would stand together in unity. Now, Paul has gotten reports back from Ephroditus as he brought that gift from the church of Philippi that there is disunity in the church of Philippi. Now, we read about some of it over in chapter 4, there's a few uh, church members that are disagreeing, there's conflict that's there, he heard about false teachers, we looked at that in chapter 3, and there's an attack uh, that's coming with false doctrine, and some are believing this, and some are believing that, and there is a disunity in their doctrine, there's a disunity in the members of the church and agreeing together, and so he's writing to them, and he's saying to them, listen, The division that I'm hearing in the church is not good because a church divided will fall and it will not accomplish what God wants it to do. Now, this was a theme that Paul actually talked about a lot. He talked about it with other churches, the church of Corinth, the church of Ephesus. He would talk about being united and walking together. And as I open the scripture, I want to just kind of give you this idea. When a church is divided... When there's conflict and disunity, what Paul is saying is that division is like tearing a cloth. And even though you might be knit together and, and woven together, disunity rips you apart. And that disunity never allows you to be brought back together the way it once was. Therefore, he's saying, let there not be splits among you, division among you, because it hinders what God Wants to do. And with that backdrop, to, go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to walk through the first eight verses. Paul says this in verse 1 If you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, he's saying, Man, if you've been blessed because you're a Christ follower, if you know your sins are forgiven, that you are a child of God, if there's been any encouragement in being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love. How many times in worship and in prayer we feel the comfort of the Lord, right? We feel the the grace of God, the warmth of God, the comfort of his presence. We felt it today in the altars of this church right here. We felt the comfort of the Lord. He said, if there's any comfort from his love, If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, that you know that you're hearing, that you're walking, that you're in tune with the Spirit, that you have the empowerment of the Spirit. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy, Paul's joy, complete by being, look what he says, underline it, like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and purpose. Let me pause for a moment. He's saying, listen, church, I want you to be like-minded. I want you to have the same love. I want you to be one in spirit and in purpose. Now, this is important because the early church recognized what happens when they were like-minded, when they were united in love, when they were one spirit, one purpose, in one accord, when they were united, there was a power and an anointing that was released on the early church. In fact, in the early church, we would see that they would be established and, and gathered together. Established. I looked over here. at The, the, the kit in my mind went to Established. I looked at my life group sign-up card that that you got when you came in. And and those that are not in life group are going to fill it out. My mind went to established. (laughs) But when we're established in Christ, let me make my transition now. When we're established in Christ, there's a unity of the spirit. The early church experienced that. I mean, they gathered in what was called the temple courts. That was times like this where they would worship together and they met in homes. And as they did, they were uniting themselves, being bonded together, established in Christ, growing together. The problem today with our technology and the way Christianity has gone is that we're isolated. We walk our journey alone. For many, all all we know about being a Christ follower is in a virtual environment. And I'm not talking about just virtually receiving the message because we can't be there. But we do everything isolated and alone. And what I would tell you is that is not being united together. That's not walking together in one mind, one heart, in one accord. We must strive to be connected one another. So if you're in the room, just nudge somebody and say we're getting connected. We're going to walk together. We're going to journey together. Paul appeals to their true spiritual motive and that is you are in Christ. You are in Christ. You have the encouragement of Christ. You have the comfort of his love. You have the fellowship and these are powerful words. The, The fellowship of the spirit. If you're a Man, if you're a mature believer, these words are powerful to you. That you know the fellowship of the Spirit. You know the tenderness and the compassion of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Man, when God could have done and maybe should have done some things in your life, in my life, because we've messed up, gone our own way, rebelled against Him, we've done what we've wanted instead of what He's asked us to do, His love and His tenderness and His compassion and His fellowship is there for you and I. And Paul says, because of that, you've got to recognize that there is something that releases into you the anointing and the power of God because you are walking together. You see, unity is important. It's important. In fact, Jesus, it was so important, prayed for it. Jesus prayed that the church would be united. In John 17, a great passage to read this week. One thing that Jesus says in John 17 is I pray, Lord. He's praying to God the Father before he's taken away. And he says, I pray that they will be one. Talking about you and I, that they will be one. That they would be knit together. They would be in one heart, one mind, one accord. That they would be one. Jesus said, as you and I are one. Now talk about that for a moment. And that is the unity of the Godhead And Jesus is praying to God and saying, as you and I are one, I'm praying that they will be one. In fact, in John 13, look over here in John 13 and verse 34, Jesus prays it. I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, this is our commandment. For you and I, it's our commandment. It's a new commandment. And that is that you what? Love each other. Now, the new commandment is just as I, the Lord Jesus, have loved you. You love one another. The old commandment is you love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a powerful love command in itself. But the new commandment is that you love as Christ has loved you as Christ has loved you and I. And therefore, there is this mutuality of love that takes place as Christ's followers that we love, not as I love myself, but I love as Christ has loved me. And boy, it's a mark of maturity in the body of Christ. Jesus prayed for our unity. It's important. Not only that, over and over again, we see that the church, the body of Christ, is likened to a family. We're called the household of God. Love one another in brotherly affirmation. 1 Timothy chapter 5 talks about brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. Over and over again, we see that the church, the church, the body of Christ, is seen as a Family And a family, not a dysfunctional family, but a family that loves one another. He says, I appeal to you. Agree with one another. Love one another. Walk in harmony with one another. It was important to the early church. We are seen uh, as a family. Jesus prayed for it. But not only that, we see... That thirdly, it is important because not only is it a family, but also for you and I, we are to make it one of our top priorities. And it's a witness to the world. When you and I love one another, it's a witness to the world saying that you and I are Christ followers. John 34, uh, uh, 13 verse 34 says, by your love for one another, all men. Everyone will know that you are what? My disciples. How? How will they know that? Is by the love that we have for one another. And so when we see that our love for each other becomes a witness to the world, and that love, by the way, is an agape love, it's a sacrificial love. It's not just a friendly love or a a romantic love. It's a love that Christ himself had for the church and that God is saying, I'm to have that, you're to have that. With one another. Now, what I love about Christian Life Center is we're a reflection, I believe, of the body of Christ in in all ethnicities, in all people groups, that we come together as a reflection of what heaven is going to be like. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation that comes together and when we can show our love for one another like that it's more than just a brotherly love in the lord but it's a love as the people of god from every tribe every nation every tongue every kindred spirit that loves one another and it's not easy is it let's be honest it's not easy We come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringings. We have different ideas and different opinions. We have many different uh, uh, thoughts and and political persuasions. I mean, it's a melting pot of diversity. And yet within that diversity, we're declaring that there are some things that unite us. And the most important thing that unites us is that we are Christ followers. And as a Christ follower, I honor you. I love you. I want to walk with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I'm not better than you or worse than you. I'm an equal with you. No matter what ethnicity any of us are, that's what we declare as Christ followers. And when we do it, it's a witness to the world. I've already been saying it, but you can write it down. God bless us. God blesses a unified church. When you look into the book of Acts right there in the very beginning, Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, uh, 46 and 47, what I love about the book of Acts is that they were in one heart, they were in one accord, they, 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 they sought to, to, to sacrifice for one another, to care. And by the way, that was a mutual, mutual sacrifice. Many times... That is manipulated in churches that individuals may come in that are trying to abuse the love of God and and the grace of God's people. But when there's a mutuality and loving and caring and walking with one another, there is such a beauty that's there. And the Bible says in Acts 2, verses 46 and 47, that God added to their numbers daily. Why? Why? There was unity in vision. There was unity in passion. There was unity in joy. I mean, man, when we come together and there's a unity in worship and purpose and mind, God's anointing is there. We are perfectly united in mind and thought. God's presence is there in that moment. And that anoints the church to move into the purpose that God has for the body. When you look through the book of Acts, Acts 1, Acts 2, you go on. What I love about it is that they... And and the word that sticks out to me the most, if I had to say which word it was, it was that they were in one accord, that there was such a unification, and it was because they understood the mission of Christ together. And therefore, it's important for you and I, because God's going to bless a church that's united, and God is also commanding you and I then to make it a top priority... That we will make it a priority. That we strive for unity. We resist division. We resist that which would divide us. And try to separate us. Because we know the root of it is the enemy. And as the enemy gets thoughts within our mind. That begins to rip us apart. We've got to guard. And we've got to put up a wall of defense to that. It's a top priority. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. Ephesians 4 3. Make every... Now, Paul, the same writer to the book of Philippi, the church of Philippi, in the book of Philippians, he's saying now the church of Ephesus make every effort to keep unity, the unity of the spirit through the bonds of peace. You know, when you look at Paul's writing over and over and over, it was about unity. And he tells the pastors and the leaders of the church that our responsibility is to guard the unity, not just to preach the word, but to guard the unity of the church so that we can do what God has called us as a church to do. Can I just hear an amen on that? We make it a top priority and we guard it. So in my final moments, I wanna share with you a few ways that we can walk and live in this authentic, Authentic unity. Let's go back to our scripture, Philippians chapter 2, and I stopped at verse 2, let's pick up at verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do I have it? Let me head over to my cards. Philippians 2, verse 3. It says, do nothing, what? Out of selfish ambition. Let me stop there before I continue. You see, if I'm going to walk in unity with you, the reality is I've got to declare war on my selfish ambition. I've got to declare war on selfishness. Because selfishness fights against this idea of walking in unity with others selfish ambition we looked at uh, uh, sometime last year in one of our sermon series but if I could because it's in our passage here just remind you that selfish ambition is a motivation to elevate myself over another to oh to, to motivate my myself over another's interests or over another individual and therefore I begin to Focus self-centeredly on what I need, want, desire, or I begin to promote myself and elevate myself over another, putting my own interests above them. James says it this way. In James chapter 4 and verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels? Do they not come from, from what? Your desires that battle within you. You want something But you don't get it. What's causing the fights, James says. What's causing the quarrels is that there's a selfishness within me that's pushing me to want what I want. And therefore, it leads to a conflict. Now, if you're married, you understand this, right? usually what leads to conflict within the marriage is that we're pushing ourselves to get our way, to to get what we want, what we desire, what we feel like we deserve, or, 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 or our opinions to be accepted, whatever it may be. I've learned here that the key attitude that I've got to embrace if I'm going to win this battle and fight and win this war within, the war of selfishness, the deceitfulness within, is I've got to learn to accept others that are with me, others around me, their opinions, their thoughts, that which they're bringing to the the relationship, I've got to have an attitude of acceptance. Now, I love the way Paul says this over in the book of Romans. In Romans 14, in verse 1, Paul says it this way. He says, accept him who is weak in the faith without passing judgment on what? Disputable matters. Now, disputable matters, if I could take a moment, are matters of opinion. Disputable matters are, 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 are not doctrinal. Disputable matters are, or, are, are usually more about method. They're usually, uh, they're usually about things that, quite honestly, that you could have an opinion and I could have an opinion... And there's really no theological doctrinal stance that either one of us can stand on. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, there are disputable matters and you've got to be careful. He says here, not to pass judgment or make an opinion on that which is a disputable matter. So, disputable matters could be many things. What colors should the pews be? Some of you have told me, Pastor, these pews are 25 years old. We need to change the pews. I look at how much I'm getting all, all this all over me, I'm sure. I look at, you know, uh, the pews, and I think the pews are fine. They're good. And some of you are like, nah, they're ugly, Pastor. You know, disputable matters. Should the lights be bright? Should the lights be dark? Should the ceiling be white? Should the ceiling be black? <laughs> Should there be smoke? Should there not be smoke? You know, should I use a teaching monitor? Should I not use a teaching monitor? Should I hand you out outlines or should I not hand you out outlines? Should you use a paper Bible or a digital Bible? Should I be in a suit or am I okay? I would say uh, it's disputable matters. Tradition and culture might tell me something different. Upbringing might tell me something different. But the reality is, if the Bible isn't telling me clearly, then honestly, it's a disputable matter. Should I sing hymns or spiritual songs or new contemporary songs? Well, quite honestly, the Bible says sing all of them. Sing all of them. Now I know that I may like the contemporary songs, or I may like the hymns, or or maybe the spiritual song that nobody else can sing along with, but it edifies my own spirit, and I might like to do that in my own self, but Paul says, sing them all, sing it all, and worship the Lord, and therefore, a disputable matter is, I might have an opinion, you might have an opinion, but quite honestly, the Bible isn't clear about it. That there's some gray area there. Should the stage be carpeted? Should it not be carpeted? Should we have seats or pews? All of these things, if we're not careful, become things that divide us. And Paul says, listen, don't pass judgment. Some of you don't even like what I've said. Because I've said something that touched your tradition. I have to be honest. It touched your upbringing, and because it touched your upbringing, it's something that you're holding on to. And Paul would say, But if it's a disputable matter, don't let it divide you. In fact, he would really say this look down in verse 19, a little bit further of Romans 14, verse 19. Let us therefore, now what is therefore there? Well, because there's disputable matters. Up in the top of the chapter, he's saying, listen, there are some things that can divide you. Now, remember, importance of unity is that God will bless a unified church. It's a witness to the world. There's an anointing that there, it will show that you and I are his disciples. Therefore, make every effort. We've heard that before. I didn't read it in Romans. I read it over in Ephesians. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and what? Mutual edification. Therefore, he's saying, listen, I know you may love seats and and, and, and individual chairs, and some of you may love pews, but don't let it break your peace and rip you apart. You see, we're not afraid of differences. We're not uh, we're not avoiding the, 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 the talk of, of different thoughts and opinions. We call that artificial harmony with our staff is let's not have an artificial harmony. Let's really strive to have harmony. We may see things different. We may view things differently. We may have different thoughts, but let's talk about it. Let's process it. Let's pray about it. Let's seek counsel from others about it. And that which is essential and that which is doctrinal and in the word of God, that which we are established in, in Christ, that we hold together and we do not compromise that. But that which is disputable, Paul would say, don't make a major out of a minor thing. And I know for some it may be a major thing, but the reality is it might be a minor thing. A few months back, a few months back, our superintendent for the Assemblies of God here in Peninsula, Florida, we would call him the apostle, so to speak, of our Assemblies of God in Florida. We have 350 churches. I remember the day that he got up and he preached in our district council, and he was wearing jeans, And he preached in district council on this thought right here. And his point was, guys, some of you can't even hear my sermon today because I'm in jeans. Because I'm in jeans, you can't hear my sermon. I was just sitting there thinking, man, I'm glad those jeans aren't ripped. (laughs) Because if they were ripped, they would have walked out of the building, you know. I mean... Thank goodness I'm not up here in shorts today. Let's, let's, just, let's just turn it around. I just came from Caymans this week partnering with our churches down there. That's a whole nother story down there, you know. But the reality is he said, listen, we've got to be careful on this thought right here. That we're striving. We're making every effort. I make an effort. You make an effort. We're striving towards that which leads to peace. Sometimes I want, you to, I want you to believe what I believe. And I keep pushing and pushing and pushing until you, you, you give in or I, over, I, I overwhelm the, the relationship or, or, or you have to cancel it or something. And Paul says, no, make every effort to do what leads to peace. I may have a different opinion about worship. I may have a different opinion about a lot of things. You and I may not agree on everything, and yet we can be determined that we're still going to walk arm in arm together. <laughs> in fact, I can guarantee you, you will not agree on every topic. It's not uniformity that Paul is talking about, he's talking about a, an attitude of unity. And that we will walk arm in arm, we will let nothing divide us, we will listen, we will accept, we will respect, and we will guard against anything that's leading to division, and if it goes against the Word of God, then we know, we know where we're going to fall, and if we have a difference of opinion there, then let's get to the Word and talk about it from the Word of God, because that becomes our guidebook, and that leads us, and guides us, and helps us to know what it is that God would want for you and I. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So Paul says it this way in another book. Over in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he says it this way to another church. I just keep showing you what Paul is saying. He says, let there be what? Real harmony. Real harmony among you so that there won't be any split. That's the ripping in the church. I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So before I move on to the second thought here uh, of the outline of how to walk in authentic unity, let me remind you that there is a plea here. And it's critical that he's saying to you and I, even though we won't agree on everything, it doesn't mean that we have to be divided in mission, purpose, and in spirit. The second key that Paul says here in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says this. I stopped reading when I read, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, we looked at that, or vain conceit. You see, the reality that I have to deal with is a root. And it's a root that keeps growing. And just when I think I've ripped it up, I find it growing again. And that root is pride. You see, the real, real issue here is pride. I'm fighting, I'm quarreling, I'm desiring. The Phillips Bible says, never act from motives of personal vanity. The Good News Bible says, don't do anything from what? A cheap desire to boast. Oh man, it's so powerful. And yet the reality is pride, when we leave it, when we leave it to grow, it leads us to be uncontrolled in what we do and what we say and what we think. So I've learned that I've got to watch what I say, it's a key, I've got to watch what I say, <laughs> and maybe I should have added here, and what I think. Because <laughs> I may not say it, <laughs> but I'm thinking it. <laughs> How many would agree with me? I mean, I just that was a little afterthought. Sermons are never done, you just preach them. <laughs> and today I just realized I should have put say and think there. Why is because the roots is what divides me because it's my pride. That's what begins to divide me. That's what has me beginning to make judgments That which begins to take my opinions and make them something that begins to get me to a place that I'm not walking in one mind, one heart and one accord. One of the things that hurts the church the most and honestly, it's one of the, the sins of the church and that is gossip. That... We <laughs> I might as well just deal with it all today, right? Might as well just get it all done in one deal with the deal with the pews, deal with the lights, deal with the ceiling, deal with the carpet, deal with the smoke. I mean, let's just get it all out there today. You notice I don't have jeans on today. <laughs> but gossip. Now, gossip, you've heard us say before, gossip is when you're sharing a problem or you have a criticism. And you're sharing it with someone that's not a part of the problem and they're not a part of the solution to the problem. So let me say it again. If I have a problem with you and I go to you and I start talking to you or criticizing them to you or really start talking about the problem and you're not a part of the problem or you're not a part of the solution to the problem, honestly, it is gossip. Now, with that definition, we've all sinned. So with that definition, Charles is going to come back up here in a minute, and I want you to confess it, right? I want you to get it into the altar because we've all sinned, but it doesn't make it right. It just means I've got to watch what I say and what I think. That I've got to deal with the root within, and that root is pride. Why do we gossip is we want to, well, did you hear? Did you know? Did you? And then we begin to share as though it elevates us in knowing. And there's so many more things that we could say here, but we begin to talk about it. And no, it's not a prayer request. (laughs) We need to pray for (laughs) Now, ministers often ask me, Pastor, what if I'm seeking counsel for somebody? Well, if they're not in the setting and they're not a part of the setting and therefore they'll have no opinion about the setting and, and what's happening, and it won't be something that that person will begin to think maybe uh, lower or have an opinion about that other individual, then, you know, you're, you're, you're getting some godly wisdom and counsel that's outside of the environment that you're there, then that gives you a way to vent. It gives you a way to process, especially if you're single. Because many times one of the dangers if you're single is having someone that you can in a healthy way be processing thoughts and and things that are happening in your emotions where in a marital relationship you may find that you're doing that with your spouse. But when you're single you may not always have that and therefore you find someone that's outside of the setting that can be there to help you process it because they're not going to have an opinion about them or they're not going to think worse or, 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 or something about the individual that you're dealing with But gossip becomes a major issue For the church For the people of Israel When you look in the Old Testament It was their bickering Their murmuring Their complaining They were constantly wanting to go back They were never content or happy where they were And therefore it was something that was always there Before them And it made God angry Therefore God help us to guard that Within the church Pastor Max Pastor Max, my predecessor, used to talk about the the carrier of an evil report. That you hear something and you carry that evil report and you share it with other people. And now you influence how they think about that person. You begin to influence their thoughts. And they might not even have known about any of it. And often we've got it skewed to our own narrative anyway. And now you've just brought that report to somebody else and you've given that to them. And he used to say that a carrier of an evil report is looking for a spirit that it can connect to. Did you hear about... Did you hear about... And they... and. No, no, I didn't. What? What did they find? They just found fertile soil. They just found somebody that will connect. Did you, did, did you see what the church? Yes, I did. And all of a sudden, what did they get? They got, they got a connection with somebody that now they begin to release. And as they begin to release, that, that evil report, that spirit begins to link with another And it begins to bring division. James says this. Watch what you say. James says in James 1.19, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Man, we mix that up sometimes, don't we? We're quick (laughs) to speak (laughs) and slow to listen. But the reality is we have to fight this route. Uh, Thirdly, how to walk in authentic unity. And for me, this point, what Paul says is very, very powerful. Probably it it hits me and maybe you as well, but it hits me in a, in a, in a prayer of saying, God, help me, help me God in this area, because Paul says this, because he's talking about that. If we're going to be unified, we're going to have to practice humility. And he says it like this in verse four. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain, vain, uh, vain conceit, but in humility, consider others. What? Consider others. We, we can't even hardly say it, can we? <laughs> consider others better than ourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. He says it this way over in Ephesians. To the church of Ephesus, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. I think this is the message Bible. The powers of the unseen world He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He goes on to say, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our own very nature, we were subjects to God's anger just like everyone else. You see, what Paul is saying here is that If we're going to be authentically unified, we've got to practice humility. And this humility is valuing and esteeming and respecting others. It's elevating others. It's treating others not only as an equal, but as a superior. I mean, think about how you act when somebody you know you come in to a, to a meeting or to a room and you know that they're a superior. How you act, Paul says, that's the attitude that we should have for one another. That we extend undeserved acts of kindness and acceptance. We refuse to take negative thoughts. We refuse to take on those feelings. And we elevate and we think about and we elevate how somebody else is in our own perspective. And when we do it, we're beginning to practice humility. Humility is something that we're going to study in our spiritual growth campaign And something that we're going to really look at, and that is how do we live a humble life? How do we live a life that's honoring and pleasing? And and how do we show God in our own humility? Because the Bible says that, that God loves the humble. And really, humility is not thinking less of myself. It's just not thinking of myself at all. It's forgetting self and looking to the needs of others first. And yet humility is what opens up the channels of God's supernatural power and his love within my life into the depth of who I am. It's in my humility that God's power can flow and pride blocks that. Therefore, I learned to fight against that root, and I learned to say, God, let me walk a life of humility. Teach me what humility is and help it to be a part of who I am so that, God, in me, you are glorified because all are seeing you, and there's no distortion of the image of who Christ is within me because my own selfishness is not blocking the image of who Christ is within Therefore, the attitude that I've got to accept—the key—it's a part of our prayers. I choose to encourage and build up. I. I choose not to tear down. I choose not to criticize. But I choose to be an encourager and build others up because as I do, I'm honoring them. I'm valuing them. I'm pushing them up in their value before God. And it's not thinking less of myself. It's just not thinking of myself. And it's looking to the needs of others and elevating them. And boy, is that difficult. Can I hear amen? But I watch what I say. I filter what I say. In fact, James says in James 3, 1, he says, don't be eager to tell others what their faults are. (laughs) But he says, watch for who we are. Watch and make sure that the glory of God is shining through our hearts and our lives. The last thing I would share with you, and it's what Paul says, I wanna end with this. Worship team can come back. In Philippians chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 4. Do I have it? Verse 4, verse 5, here we go. Your attitude should be the same as that of whose? Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And lastly, he says, he was found in appearance as a man, yet he humbled himself. Some translations say he emptied himself. It's a great theological study of him emptying himself, humbling himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And this last part, and I don't have to unpack it, ...is that we have to develop Christ-likeness. If I'm going to be in authentic unity... ...then I've got to be a reflection of Christ. And I've learned that one of the keys... ...in dealing with conflict... ...is learning to use God's method... ...in conflict resolution. If I want to know how God wants you and me... ...to handle a conflict... ...we can go over to the book of Matthew... And he will show us very clearly how to handle conflict. Matthew 18, verse 15. If a fellow believer hurts you, this is the message Bible. What do you do? You go and tell them. If they offend you, work it out between the two of you. If they listen, you've made a friend. But if they won't listen take one or two others along with you so that there's the presence of witnesses that will keep things honest and try again. Try to do what? To work it out. But if they still won't listen, then bring in leaders from the church. And if they still won't listen to the leaders of the church, then you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. So what he's saying is, if I have a problem, then I've got to go to you, not to somebody else, but I come to you, and we begin to talk it out. We try to work it out. If we can't work it out, then he says, bring another or bring a couple with you that are spiritual and and begin to try to work it out. still can't work it out, then you invite church leaders and spiritual leaders to get involved, the life group leader or a ministry leader or a department pastor, and you try to work it out. And if you still can't work it out, then the spiritual leaders can give direction. You see, when we work to have this kind of unity, I really believe that there is an anointing that comes over the church. As we come to the end of this message, I want you to bow your heads with me. Guys, you can go ahead and begin to play for me there. And I just want you for a moment where you're at, I want you for a moment to make it a simple prayer that says, Lord, help me to walk in unity. Father, I choose unity today. I choose to be united, one mind, one heart, and one accord. Today, I choose to practice humility. Today, God, I choose to develop likeness. Today, I choose, Lord, to, I choose to determine, to, to, to put others' needs above my own. Father, I just pray that you will help us. Help us, God, to begin to to do what it takes to strive for mutual peace. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see the value, the importance of being a unified church. That, God, you'll help me to discover and, and help me to recognize if it's a disputable matter God, if it's really an issue that must be talked about, must be processed, something, Lord, that that we strive to, to understand together and walk together in unity so that you can be glorified. You tell us over and over again to do our very best to preserve the unity of the Spirit, to strive for peace, to walk together. I don't preach this message today because there's division or, 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 or there's a sense of disunity. We preach it because it's a part of the passages of Philippians that we were walking through. But as we walk through it, we look at it and we see God that it is a call to the church. And what a better time to preach about it when there isn't Disunity or discord or division in the body of the church because it becomes a reminder of how we guard the move of your spirit. It becomes a reminder that we have to strive together and walk together with one another because without unity, we, the church, will lose our stability. Help us, God, to stand that stability that we have in you protecting the unity. Without unity, we lose our voice and our witness to the world. God, thank you. Thank you that we're united in mind, vision, and purpose. That we're not fighting one another, but we're fighting the enemy of our soul. We're fighting the, the, the values of this world. We're fighting against that which is trying to move us out of the will of God. And, Father, we're fighting for that unity that would enable us to be the witness that you've called us to be. Without unity, we will lose the battle. But today, today we declare, I choose choose unity I choose to walk with others I choose to be connected to others we pray this in your wonderful name and all God's people said amen and amen give the Lord praise hallelujah